Today's reading is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks, Simon. So over the past few weeks, we've uh, been in exploring in our sermons the topic of worship. Uh, we've looked at being overcome in worship uh, with Isaiah. We've, we've explored worship by having a good moan at God as we've looked at laments and David and the Psalms. We've looked at true worship and healing worship and sung worship. But as we go into this passage from Colossians 3, I want you uh, to think about yesterday. It was Saturday, just in case you don't know what day of the week it was. It was Saturday yesterday. What did worship look like in your day yesterday? Maybe just sit there and think for 20 seconds. What did worship look like in your day yesterday? wonder what you're thinking of. Maybe you could share with the person next to you over coffee at the end. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you that we can come and gather and worship you and sing your praises and remind ourselves and each other uh, who you are and what you've done. Lord, speak to us this morning as we explore this topic even further, as we open this passage of scripture together. Holy Spirit, come and speak into our lives. Changes and transformers. In your name we pray. Amen. As Dave said, if you want to get the, uh, the Bible open on your phone or tablet or in the real life book, we're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Uh, and, and Paul is writing uh, to the, the new church in a place called Colossae. They've been having a bit of a rough time in this church uh, by the time Paul's writing this letter to them. Because there have been various people that have become part of their uh, community who have been like spreading dodgy doctrine. Uh, doing some false teaching them, getting them back, getting them off track. So the purpose of Paul writing this letter is to remind them to fix their eyes on Jesus, to remind them that it's all about Christ Jesus, to live whole lives of worship. And that's what this whole letter uh, that Paul writes to the Colossians is about. But in this particular passage from Colossians chapter 3, uh, we find in it one of the most well-known verses in the Bible about worship. It's verse 16, if you've got the passage open. And it says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom 
through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul is speaking here to this church all about gathered worship, the sort of stuff that we're doing now. It probably looked completely different to what we're doing here, uh, but he's referring to, to when they come together and they sing songs and they teach uh, from the Bible together. And he's saying this, did you notice it? Let Christ dwell among you. I love this word, dwell. What a beautiful picture. In worship, God needs to dwell amongst his people. Christ Jesus needs to find his home amongst us as we teach and as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other, as we call each other uh, to repentance. Christ Jesus needs to make his home amongst us, his dwelling place. Christ Jesus should be at the center of all our gathered expression of worship. But Paul doesn't leave it there in verse 16 because verse 17 comes next. And he says this, whatever you do, not just when you're singing, not just when you're uh, listening to teaching, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Christ Jesus. Whatever you do. Rick Warren, the Christian author, puts it like this. Worship is not part of life, it is your life. Worship is not part of life, it is your life. It's whatever you do, in the words of Paul. Worship is not just about what we do here. I hope you've picked that up from this sermon series so far, when we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other. It's not just what we might do or who we might be when we're doing sacred or spiritual things. Worship is in every part of our lives. Hence my question at the beginning. How were you worshiping God? What did worship look like yesterday for you? What we do here in this place on a Sunday or other times through the week is just like an overflow. It's like an overflow of our love and devotion to God that has gone before uh, th through the other days of our, of our week, through our work and through our relationships, through our conversation, how we have acted with compassion and kindness to other people. That makes our act of worship in this place more meaningful. Worship is not part of our lives. It is our life. And that's why, in actual fact, um, in the first 17 verses of Colossians chapter 3, there is only one verse about singing and doing the sorts of stuff we do here. Whereas there are 16 verses which remind us how, as a community and how, as individuals, we're to live our lives of whole life worship to God. And we're going to dig into these verses in a few moments. As many of you know, um, my mum died a few weeks ago, and we had a wonderful service of thanksgiving for her life uh, in Bradford Cathedral. Around 300 people came along to the service. And as part of that service, we asked everybody who came uh, to write on a leaf, there was significance in why it was a leaf, don't worry about that, but we asked people uh, as they came in to take a leaf and to write uh, a memory or something they were thankful for about my mum's life. And I had the, the privilege of reading all these over uh, the next week or so. And what really fascinated me was that my mum was a vicar. 
And so, as you would expect, there were a good number of people at that service who wrote lovely things about her ministry and how she'd helped them grow in faith and all that sort of thing, because they had seen her living out her life of worship in a church setting. But I reckon there were probably 50 or 60 of those leaves that said something about I know Val from pottery class, and she was always so kind and so joyful. Or, um, I know Val because my friends, mum has known since we were 15, and she always welcomed me into her her house. Or, you know, I've known Val uh, because I was her gardener 20 years ago, and she really impacted my life at that point. It was her kindness, her generosity, her love, which came through for those people and meant that those 50, 60 people who didn't know Val as a preacher, as a teacher, as a minister, had experienced something of Jesus' love through her life. Whole life worship is simply that. It's coming from a place where we're living out our love for Jesus in the everyday It's not just about coming to a place. Let's think about place for a moment. In the Old Testament, uh, worship is often associated with a place. Um, So first of all, the Jews had the tabernacle. It was like a tent that went around with them as they were wandering uh, for 40 years in the wilderness. It was a place of worship. It was a place, a symbolic place where God was present with his people wherever he went. And then they reached the promised land and uh, they built the temple in Jerusalem. And it was a place where God was present with his people. Uh, The whole sacrificial system was enacted in that place so that sins could be forgiven. So both the tabernacle and the temple were symbolic places where heaven and earth met, where God was present with his people, where the sacrificial system was enacted, where sins could be forgiven. But then Jesus rocks up. And he speaks of himself as being the fulfillment of the temple, the embodiment of the temple, if you like. In the person of Jesus, God is present with his people. Heaven and earth meet again. And sins are forgiven. When Jesus dies on the cross, he takes upon himself the sins of the world once and for all. And sins are forgiven. But then it goes further. In Hebrews 10:22, Paul explains how Jesus' death and resurrection has made it possible for each one of us to draw near to God, to experience God's presence, to be cleansed from sin. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 that actually now those of us who believe and trust in Jesus, who have accepted him as Lord of our lives, are temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We then can worship God wherever we are. The whole thing about place has changed with Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So what does this actually mean? Does it mean that what we do in here is now irrelevant? Well, no, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, Otherwise, I haven't got a job. Um, (laughs) 
Because when we gather together in this place, we're reminded of three things. We're reminded that we are God's people, that we're not on our own, as we've seen with uh, Malcolm and Carrie. They're not on their own. They're part of us as well. We are God's people uh, gathering together. It's where we focus on what God has done, on the story of God, what God has done, what God is continuing to do, and what God will do in the future. It's the place where we gather together and we receive from God. We encounter the Holy Spirit so that we can go out and live our lives of worship. It's not the whole picture. Gathered worship is, as I said a few weeks ago, just about two hours of the 168 hours that we have in our weeks. And if we take away sleep, we still have 110 hours left to live lives of worship to God. And that's why there's only one verse in these first 17 verses of Colossians 3 that are about gathered worship. The other 16 are about living lives of worship to God. I was reading uh, a book this week about worship called a guy called, uh, from a guy called Andy Hargreaves. And he was talking about how until a few years ago, uh, worship for him was all about church. His work was simply the place that he went to, to earn money to live, and also to earn money to give to ministries like uh, Malcolm and Carrie's and to the church as well. It wasn't a place of worship. And then one day he explains in this book about how he was in church and it was like in the 90s and they were singing that song, I will worship, I will worship. And it was one of those ones where you know you went through this era of echoey songs I worship, I'm not going to sing. Uh, I will worship, I will worship. I always sang the mountains bit because it really annoyed me that the women always had to echo, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, um, it was one of those songs. And the chorus goes like this. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. Some of you are singing the song in your head as we speak. But he describes a light bulb moment as he was singing that song, a song he'd sung many times before in that moment. Because in that moment, he realized that his whole life is an offering of worship to God. And that transformed how he went to work the next day. It meant that when he now goes to work, it's a place where he builds relationships. Every decision that he makes, every contract that he signs, every conversation that he has at work, every act of kindness he does to that colleague who's really irritating him, Every person he employs is part of his worship to God. It completely transformed who he was, his relationship with God, and how he lived a life of worship. We have 110 hours to live lives of worship. And I'm sure that is why Paul devotes all this time to explaining what whole life worship looks like. So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. No, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, first of all. Since then, he writes, since then you have been raised with Christ. 
since you have received Christ Jesus as Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit, now you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul's saying. Take off the rags of the old stuff. Stuff like sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like doing because it suits you. But instead, put on the garments of righteousness, Paul says. And what are these garments of righteousness? I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates uh, this part, this passage uh, from Colossians 3, 12 to 17 in the message translation uh, of the Bible. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. I think that's Paul Sorry's shirts lined up there. Uh, Dress in the wardrobe God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive quickly and completely as the master forgave you. Isn't that beautiful? Dress in a wardrobe of holiness. That's what whole life worship looks like. And in many ways, it is just like putting on your everyday clothes, whatever your everyday clothes are. It might be putting on your suit or your gym kit or your jeans and your shirt, whatever you wear every day. But we're invited not into the dull and boring and mundane normal of everyday life. But it's like putting on your suit, but it's got a really fancy lining. Uh, You know, one of those jazzy linings inside. Or putting on something with a bit of a sparkle on it as well. It's like we're putting on those things, but they're gilded by the Holy Spirit. We're putting on things that could be normal, but they're gilded by the Holy Spirit with patience, kindness, forgiveness, and love. We're putting on these garments that are actually a a radical life in Christ. These are garments that invite us to become more human, not less human. We're invited to put on these garments that enable us to become more of the people that God has made us to be, not less I wonder if you've um, ever been to a shop and you've seen a pair of trousers or jeans, this happens to me, and you see them and there's only like a couple of sizes left and there's definitely not one that's your size, but you go in hope, you pick them up in hope that you might be able to squeeze into them and take them into the changing rooms and you sort of get them over your feet and you're like, great, victory, Uh, and then you pull them up and if you're a woman, sometimes they stop there on your your thighs, but sometimes you can get them all the way up to to your waist and you're there because they they are a size eight and you know you're not a size eight if you're a girl and and you're there like literally like squishing bits down pulling them together trying to do the button up in the middle but however hard you try those jeans will not fit you you just cannot get them on and sometimes we try don't we we try to live some of this stuff out kindness humility patience but it cannot be achieved by trying by doing good stuff. Because holiness, a whole life of worship, as Paul makes clear in a couple of verses before our passage today, Colossians 3 verse 10, comes through the Holy Spirit living in us, renewing us from the inside out. 
It's all about the Holy Spirit renewing us from the inside out. And so some of us this morning, this is where we need to stop in our heads because actually that's what we know is missing. We're trying to live a life of holiness, whole life worship following Jesus. But it feels like we're banging our head against a brick wall. So maybe for some of us, we just need to be renewed by the Holy Spirit this morning. But let's look at a couple of uh, these things a bit more closely. Put on kindness, Paul says. Kindness is simply the desire for the good of others. It's simply the desire for the good of others. It's so simple, but it's so flipping complicated, isn't it? There's immense power in kindness. Just this last week, um, lots of people have been rocked by the suicide of Caroline Flack, TV presenter Caroline Flack, best known uh, for presenting Love Island. And in um, early December, there was an incident with her boyfriend where she was accused of assaulting him. And since then, she's really been hounded uh, on social media and by the media. And it's taken, it took a serious toll on her mental health. And later on in December, she posted on Instagram this. In a world where you can be anything, be kind. In a world where you can be anything, be kind. And following her death last weekend, there's been a campaign on social media. Uh, and, and that statement was made into uh, a T-shirt and they've been sold for mental health charities. Uh, but there's been a campaign on social media to be kind in our words kindness, the desire for the good of others. It's so simple, but it's so powerful and transformative. If worship at its root is serving, and and actually that is the root of the word worship, is serving, then serve someone, love someone in a way that Jesus loved them by being kind. And then similarly, Paul goes on and says, bear with one another and forgive one another. In in our world today, it's just too easy to exist in our own echo chambers, uh, only hearing the opinions uh, of people who agree with us, whether it's our politics, our view on society, uh, whether it's our view on American politics, or whether it's our theology, whatever it might be, our views of certain TV programs. We can exist in these echo chambers where we only hear the same opinions as ourselves, and we can block and filter out everybody who doesn't agree agree with us just by a push of a button. We're not bearing with other people. And then we live in an increasingly polarized society uh, where we only spend time with people who are like us, who are similar to us, who perhaps share the same sort of socio-economic position as, as us who share the same pastimes as us, shop in the same shops that we go to, have the same views that we have. And we don't learn to bear with one another. We are the people, the church of God. He should be accepting of others, other people's weirdnesses and quirkiness. That's what bearing with one another is. Just look around you. What a set of random weirdos we are. And isn't it glorious? Isn't it amazing? bear with one another. This is the place where we learn how to do it. And we're to bear with one another another, and we're to forgive one another as well. You know, forgiveness is really tough, isn't it? 
We've got probably a good 300 stories in this room, our lives, of people where we've had to forgive. And it's really hard to forgive people who have hurt us or who continue to hurt us or institutions or organizations that have hurt us and continue to hurt us. But we're called to forgive. And not just to forgive once, but to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. Because whilst we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He forgave us and he goes on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving us. It was the night before one of my children's birthdays when they were very little um, and I had to make a cake. And I had everything together. I had a plan. I knew what I was doing. I bought the ingredients, or probably John had bought the ingredients, to be honest. Uh, everything was lined up and in the house. But I'd had a really busy day. And so I got home, and it was really late. And it was about 9 o'clock, and I had to start making this cake. Um, I've given up now. I'll just go to Sainsbury's. Um, but anyway, I was obviously a keen mother at that point. And at 9 o'clock at night, made this cake, whizzed it all together, put it in the oven, and brought it out. Thought, fantastic. I'm a genius. Uh, went to bed next day, busy day at work, and then we had lots of people uh, coming around little gathering, as you do for little children's birthday parties. And so we got home and I'd iced the cake, made it look sporty, because that's what most cakes look like in our house. And, and I was sort of thinking, you know, my invitation to Bake Off is going to be coming soon. Fantastic. We had this tea, everybody's gathered around, brought out the cake, hurrah, Candles were blown out, cake was chopped up and distributed amongst everybody. And we sat there and we ate the cake. And it was like that moment where everybody just thought, oh my goodness, am I going to be polite here? But I made it, so it was okay. Um, and it was disgusting. It was, it was like the texture was wrong. Everything was wrong about it. It was like a savory cake. It was disgusting. The only sweetness was the icing on it. And I realized that we'd missed out the sugar. I'd missed out. I'd, I'd made a sugarless cake. Those things don't happen. I don't know about all this, you know, making vegan extra cakes. But I'm like, you need the sugar, don't you, in a cake. I'd missed out that vital ingredient. So it didn't matter that all the other ingredients were there, the sugar was missing. The vital ingredient was missing. And that's what Paul is writing about here in verse 14, when he says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. Love is like the sugar in the cake. It's like the belt, not just like an accessory belt, but a belt that like holds your clothes together. Uh, the garment that holds everything else together. Jesus said these are the two greatest commandments. Love God and love one another. Love God and love one another. If we're not being kind and patient and gentle from a place of love, then what are we doing those things for? We're doing them simply from a place of self, a place of self-centeredness. It's just about what I can get from being kind to that person, whether it's a good feeling or a promotion at work or whatever it is. Or we do it from a place of duty, and duty isn't love either. 
But when we're to live out these characteristics, to live these lives of whole life worship, we do it from a place of love, having experienced the love of God in our own lives and wanting to share that love of God with everybody else as well. So what does that look like? At work, we're kind to our colleagues, not because we have to, because it'll get us favor with our boss or because we don't want to be known as nasty. We're kind because you know that you're loved by God. And you know that whilst you're working in that place, you want to show your colleagues what that love looks like through your conversation that you have over the photocopy or when you're making a cup of coffee or through your actions by the way that you're the one who steps out and serves other people who goes the extra mile. You're, you're the one who loves in your work sh- workplace by being kind, not because you've got a self-purposing agenda. That is worship. With friends and family, we're patient, not because uh, we should feel dutiful to be patient, beca- but because we know what loving patience looks like because we experience it constantly for ourselves in our relationship with Jesus. You know, when I mess up time and again, which I do uh, with God, and come back to Jesus with my mess, he doesn't say to me, oh, for goodness sake, Libby, you're a complete idiot. Why do you do this all the time? Why do we keep having to have this conversation? He's like the loving father in the prodigal son who stands there with his arms wide open and welcomes me back. And and forgives me and loves me and shows me compassion and kindness and patience and helps me get back on the right track again. What would it look like for you in your place? For worship not just to be a part of your life, but to be your whole life. What would it look like for worship to be your whole life? In a few minutes, we're going to sing some more worship songs. And I was thinking this week about what it would look like if on our screen here, you know when we sing worship songs and they're up on the screen, we have like a nice black background. But I wonder what it would look like if you imagined that instead of the black background, it was your desk at work, if you go out to work. Or it's your kitchen Or it's the place where you meet people in the week, whether it's at a school or on a street or in uh, some sort of organization you're part of. What would it look like? What would happen to our worship if those images were behind the words that we sing when we worship together? I wonder if what it would feel like if the image on the screen was your dining table or where you sit and eat with people or your lounge the place you live your life of worship. And this week, Lent begins, and as you find yourself at work or with your family or your friends or doing whatever you do, going wherever you go, what is God saying to you about worshipping him in that place? What would it look like for you to live a life of worship in that place where God has put you this week? What would happen to your conversation, to your action, to your decisions, to the things that you do and don't say? 
to the contracts that you do and don't sign. What happens on your way to work and your way home from work or wherever it is you go in the week? 